Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. Listen, all you New Yorkers. Hello. I hope no one's eating dinner. Something like that. What's up, everybody? It's 10 o'clock on Monday night, which means it's time for the next best thing. Dear Jesus. I'm your host, Jonathan B. Lerner, and I'll be with you for the next two hours. Well, get ready. Don't go anywhere. We have a great, 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 great show lined up for you tonight. I can't even contain myself. But before we get to any of that, we'd like to kick the show off by doing what we always do, and that is review all of the great and the not-so-great things that have happened on... This Day in History. Today is March 5th, National Multiple Personality Day. Swear to God I'm not making that up. On this day in 1770, the Boston Massacre took place when British troops fired on a crowd in Boston killing five people. Two British troops were later convicted of manslaughter, the slaughter of man. On this day in 1956, the United States Supreme Court affirmed the ban on segregation in public schools. On this day in 1984, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that cities had the right to display the nativity scene as part of their Christmas display. Cool. On this day in 1997, North Korea and South Korea met for the first time in 25 years for peace talks. They clearly went nowhere because there's no peace, no justice, no peace, no justice, no peace. That's what happened on this day in history. And who knows, perhaps we'll make history right here tonight on Radio Free Brooklyn and be studied for years to come. But who are we kidding? Probably not. You're listening to the next best thing. Stay tuned. Oh, yeah. Holy sweet mother of God, it is 10 o'clock on a Monday night, so you know what that means. Is it time for your favorite show ever? No! But it is time for the next best thing. I'm your host, Jonathan B. Lerner, keeping you company every Monday night from 10 until midnight right here on Radio Free Brooklyn. Can you hear me? One second. Testing. One, two, three. Are we on? Great. Before we get into what's going on in the news, what's going on in the world, let's do the housekeeping that we always have to take care of. Let's just get it out of the way right off the top. You can tweet at us. We are at Next Best Radio. That's at Next Best Radio. Go ahead and like us on Facebook, follow us on Facebook. A lot of stuff gets posted on our Facebook page, stuff that we talk about in any given episode, information, links to pertinent sites, all that stuff usually goes up on our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash NBT radio. Also, if you're really feeling like you want to go all out and write it's more than 140 characters, more than something you'd feel comfortable posting on a Facebook wall. You can always feel free to send us an email. We are at nextbestthing at radiofreebrooklyn.org. And lastly, we do ask you to remember that we are fully listener and producer supported. If you like what you hear on Radio Free Brooklyn, if you like what you hear tonight, please consider going to our website, going to this show's page, and donating a little something something to keep us in business if you like what you hear tonight well a donation could ensure that you will get to hear more next week and the weeks after that uh if you 
feel so inclined, you can go to rfb.nyc/nbt. Again, that's rfb.nyc/nbt. Oh man, that was exhausting, wasn't it? It was for me. I'm sure it was for you too. So. That's all the housekeeping I can think of right now. If I've forgotten anything... Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Good. It's true, nobody cares. But I care about you, and that's why we're here today. This is us, that was then, this is now, who cares? Oh my God. Basically, the past two episodes of The Next Best Thing, the past two weeks worth, have almost been completely dedicated to talking about guns. We're not going to do that today, don't you worry, but I do have to talk quickly about one aspect of it. Dana Loesch and the God-forsaken NRA. There have been a number of meetings. Do you know who Dana Loesch is? She's apparently their new spokeswoman and face of the organization. And there's been a number of meetings within the last week or so to address the epidemic of gun violence in America. In one of them, Donald Trump actually said something that kind of provided one of those rare moments where I really think his his true feelings come out and where he kind of exposes himself for being what I think he should be, what he should embrace. And that's a New York City businessman who is almost certainly more progressive than he is religious and conservative. But anyway, he said that he really thought a good idea would be to take the guns away from people before due process. Now, that I, can't, I mean, for a Republican president to say that, I mean, it's the most antithetical thing in the world, and it's insane. This is whole the whole thing is insane. But he obviously had to walk it back since it was the opposite of what Republicans and certainly the NRA, his handlers, think. So afterwards, Dana Loesch went on Anderson Cooper's show to talk about it. Now, why the hell we care what she or the NRA thinks? I don't know, and I wish we wouldn't. I wish we would stop even asking them these questions. Why are they on the shows? Who cares what they think? But alas, when he asked her what she thought about the idea, here's what he asked her about. The possibility of raising the eligibility age for the AR-15 assault rifles from 18 to 21, just like it is for handguns. Basic. Something that shouldn't need to be changed because it should have been that way all along, right? But when he asked her about that, here's what she said. Well, there was a lot of stuff discussed during this meeting, and I don't think any of it really made for good policy to keep our kids safe. And with regards to increasing age restrictions, uh, purchasing long guns, this is something that the NRA opposes because it doesn't— That's a no-go. I I won't— it's a no-go. Yeah, there's no point in, in, in punishing millions of, of young adults for something that they didn't do. I mean, I want to be quite clear what it is we're discussing. We're talking about putting their liberty on the chopping block and holding them responsible for the incompetency of the government. That That's their—it's the government's responsibility. We had 45 missed calls, uh, two missed FBI tips. The murderer called the Broward Sheriff Department himself and said, I am a danger. The family members called. Neighbors called. It's not these law-abiding. Americans, they didn't get this call. Um, so it's it's unfathomable to me to think that they're responsible and they should be paying the price for this. Okay, these Americans shouldn't have to have their freedom infringed upon, shouldn't have to pay the price and suffer. Pay the price of not being able to get an AR-15 until you're 21. That's what we're talking about here. And she's acting like we are going to criminalize the word shit. 
If you say shit, you're going to jail. Something extreme and crazy like that. This woman is insane. I'm sorry. She's insane. And she went on to yammer about something else she knows nothing about so as to distract us even more from what the actual question was. Do you even remember? Because she clearly doesn't. And not to mention Anderson, too. I mean, we have to address you know, all of these politicians who for decades have ignored this huge mental health crisis that we have in the United States that I hope that we can have a genuine so, discussion on because it's truly, it's, I mean, truly a problem. Okay. This mental health crisis in the United States. I mean, oh my God, her hair's on fire about it. And why isn't anyone talking about it? Friends, there is no mental health crisis in the United States. Could care and access to mental health be better? Sure, and I'm all for it, absolutely. But to conflate these two issues is dumb, dangerous, and exactly what they want to do here. She's acting, oh, this is a mental health epidemic. Bullshit. I'm sorry, but bullshit. Again, I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. Before we start using the gun issue to talk about mental health reform, we have to first acknowledge that a multiple casualty shooting by a disturbed person is statistically rare and always unpredictable. That's according to actual research, not these NRA people's buttholes, which was where they pull out these other statements. As such, a singular horrific incident plays an important but totally ambiguous role in the national conversation on gun violence and in the emergent policy discussion on what to do about it. Now, we also have to grapple with the full range of social benefits and costs that may accrue in casting this wide net with broad mesh about how dangerous people with mental illnesses are. A lot of people with mental illnesses are depressed or something. It's not violent behavior and it's not dangerous to other people. It's disorders of thought, mood, and behavior. And fear, doing what she's doing, acting like it's only these mentally ill people that are shooting people up, so they need to be locked away, not the guns. Well, fear like that stokes avoidance and social rejection, which in turn beget discrimination. And if, you know, we're on this Me Too movement right now, so why are we now castigating mentally ill people? If they're no longer one of us, then coercion, loss of privacy, and unwarranted deprivation of liberty become easy to justify. And ironically, this alienates people with serious but treatable mental health conditions and encumbers their desire to seek help with worry about what that might entail. A public policy of categorical exclusion based on the presumed dangerousness of one group may serve the public interest, but not without overreaching and not without social cost. And by the way, you know, the point I do want to make is that people with serious mental illnesses, the sort that land them in like psychiatric hospitals, they don't, what are we going to do? There may be signs for certain people, but you can't always look at someone and think, oh my God, that guy is about to shoot up a school. What are you going to do? Throw a net around him? Catch him with a butterfly net? It's just all insane. It's all insane. And the real point I'd wanted to make with Dana Loesch <laughs> is that she used something so basic in such a simple question, like raising the eligibility age from 18 to 21 for this one assault rifle. That's all we're talking about. We're talking about one assault rifle here. And she tried to act like, again, we were going to be throwing people in jail for something as basic as their freedom of speech. It's just not happening. And it's insanity here. What she's really doing is she's trying to act like raising the eligibility age for this one assault rifle is the equivalent of taking all guns away of every shape, size and variety. And that's not what's happening. Listen to her. 
So if the president continues down this road, uh, continues to want to raise the age of 21, fights for that, fights for bump stocks, fights for, uh, uh, for eliminating bump stocks, um, you know, fights for, fights for all the things he talked about in that meeting, even taking guns, worrying about due process later, what's the message from the NRA to him on that in terms of what's going to happen in the voting booth? Well, we've made it clear where where the NRA has made it clear where they stand in, in terms of you know where we are with with increasing the age. I mean, it just doesn't you know it just doesn't make sense to to punish people to do that. I mean, I lived on my own before I was 21 years old, and I can't imagine not you know in my mind, Anderson, I'm like nine feet tall and I weigh 500 pounds, but in reality, I'm five six and I weigh a buck 25. I will be easily overpowered, and I can't imagine living by myself and not having an ability to defend myself. And there are millions of young adults that age that are in that same predicament. It doesn't make any sense to punish them for the failures of government. Punish them for the failures of government. They're going to be out on their own with no ways to protect themselves. I'm just the, you know, kind of skinny, young, beautiful woman. I'm going to be overpowered, blah, blah, blah. What the hell? Someone shoot her with a tranquilizer gun because she's talking crazy. People like to, actually gun people, like to compare cars to guns, guns and cars, because they say people die in car accidents. Are we going to ban cars? Now, obviously, this is a dumbass thing to say and think, but hearing this interview did actually remind me of something that happened within the car industry back in the 60s. Now, just bear with me here for a minute. The talk of raising the eligibility, or better yet, banning assault weapons, has the NRA up in arms, acting like the Second Amendment is totally under attack. Now, why do they care so much about a law that might isn't even enacted, but could possibly affect one kind of gun, one single gun, when there are so many other guns. I mean, I don't know. It's obvious. Money. <laughs> That's it. The AR-15 is a, is a money maker. Now, here's the car stuff. A lot of us know Ralph Nader as an eccentric old guy who may very well have cost Al Gore the presidency by running as a third-party candidate in 2000. But he's also a political activist, author, lecturer, attorney, blah, blah, blah. Well, in 1965, he published a book called Unsafe at Any Speed. It was a critique of the safety record of American automobile manufacturers that became really well-known as one of the most important journalistic pieces of the 20th century. You see, in the book, Nader accuses car manufacturers of strongly resisting the introduction of safety features like seat belts, speed limits, and he describes their general reluctance to spend money on improving safety. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Who else? Hmm. What's an organization that resists any kind of law, right? Well, in the book, he goes over so much and he covers a lot of different makes, models, manufacturers, but the book is most famous for exposing one car in particular, the Chevrolet Corvair. The Corvair had a single, a swing axle suspension design. It made it totally prone to like tuck under and it would roll, really prone to tipping, totally unsafe. When the book came out, folks, and started to sell really well, it prompted a vicious backlash from General Motors. And they went nuts. They attempted to discredit Nader by tapping his phone. How would they even do that? But they did. They tapped his phone, trying to uncover salacious info about him. When that failed, they hired prostitutes to try and entrap him and get him in compromising situations. Nader was actually working as a consultant to a senator at the time. And when he reported that he thought he was being followed, the senator convened an inquiry that called the CEO of General Motors... Under oath, and he had to admit that the company had hired a private detective agency to investigate Nader. <laughs> I mean, it was insanity. It was insanity. Now, a year after Nader's book was published, 
Congress unanimously enacted the National Traffic and Motor Vehicle Safety Act. And the Speaker of the House at the time said the passage was due to, quote, the crusading spirit of one individual who believed he could do something, Ralph Nader. Okay, so here's the comparison. General Motors is the NRA. The Chevy Convair is the AR-15. Ralph Nader, I mean, he's kind of a combination of the Center for Disease Control, who should be doing research and reporting on gun violence, but can't, not allowed, and uh, organizations like the Brady Campaign and Every Gun to Re- Every Town to Reduce Gun Violence. The laws we're looking to pass are like seatbelts and speed limits, driver's licenses, that the auto industry was so opposed to. Now, did the laws enacted by the National Traffic and Motor Vehicle Safety Act kill the auto industry like they wanted us to think it would? Obviously not. Yeah, the book did damage the reputation and sales of one car, the Chevy Convair. But there are hundreds of other makes, models, styles, manufacturers, and they continue to sell, thrive, grow. That's what would happen if the AR-15 was banned. Virtually nothing. They just wouldn't be able to use that particular gun to shoot up schools. So this is all nuts. Everything they say is crazy. And why are they on the TV shows? I do not know. Moving right along. Okay, so on to happier things, right? The Academy Awards, folks. Did you watch them? Did you love them? Adam Rapon wore a harness. Okay, cool. I like Adam Rapon just fine, and he's a very good-looking athletic guy, obviously, and an athletic guy. He's an Olympian. And he was damn right to call Mike Pence out for being the deranged, homophobic, religious zealot he is. But why was he even at the Oscars? I mean, what was the last movie he was in or that he had anything to do with? I'm a little confused. But more than that, the harness. Why are you wearing a harness? I mean, come on. By all means, let your freak flag fly. Let it fly so high. But a harness to the Oscars? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I like to do some fun, crazy stuff, too. But there's a time and a place. You know, that's just my opinion. Okay, so best original song. That's what we're going to talk about here tonight, folks. You better believe it. What one best original song was a song called Remember Me from Coco. It was a perfectly delightful little tune, and I happen to love the composers. He, the male half of the duo that wrote that song, wrote Avenue Q with a different writing partner. Great show. Love the show. He wrote the music for Book of Mormon. They the same duo that won last night, won the Oscar for Best Original Song for Frozen, for which I had no problem, with which I had no problem. But out of the five songs nominated last night, I'm sorry, that Coco song was probably the third or fourth best one. Not even close. I don't care. I don't even care, okay? So first, let's talk about Best Original Songs. Eligibility, okay? The rule states, quote, there must be a clearly audible, intelligible, substantive rendition, not necessarily visual, but a substantive rendition of both lyrics and melody used in the body of the motion picture or as the first music cue in the end credits. Fine. The original requirement, however, was only that the nominated song appear in a motion picture during the previous year. Now, that rule was changed after the 1941 Oscars when the last time I saw Paris from the film Lady Be Good with music by Jerome Kern and lyrics by Oscar Hammerstein won. Of all people, Kern, Jerome Kern himself, was upset about it. He was upset that his song won because it had been published and recorded before it was used in that film, which is a legitimate gripe, but it's just funny that the composer himself was the one making it. The song was actually written in 1940 after the Germans occupied Paris at the start of World War II. It was recorded by Kate Smith and peaked at number eight on the bestseller list before it was ever used in the film. So what the hell? 
Jerome Kern got the Academy to change the rule so that only songs that are, quote, original and written specifically for that motion picture are eligible to win. Songs that rely on sampled or reworked materials, cover versions, all that stuff, remixes, parodies, those are not allowed either. Like Gangsta's Paradise, for example, not allowed. So the rule means that when a film is adapted from a previously produced, like, stage musical, for example, well, none of the existing songs from the musical are eligible. So as a result, many recent film adaptations of musicals have included original songs that can be nominated, like You Must Love Me from the 1996 version of Evita, which actually did win. So many songs from Dreamgirls, the song Suddenly from Les Mis, all that stuff. Okay, so that's the eligibility. Now what we're going to do, folks, you just buckle in and get ready because it's going to be great. I think that last night's song was just the wrong pick. And so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to re-examine, go through the history of that award and re-examine some of the unbelievable songs that were nominated for Oscars and should have won them, but didn't. Now, don't get me wrong. I do not by any means believe that the Academy gets it wrong most of the time. There have been some amazing, great songs that have won the award, like Over the Rainbow, probably the best ever. Skyfall, not that long ago. Great song. My Heart Will Go On. Hello. What was going to beat that? Nothing. But there are also some songs that no question should have won and didn't. And we're going to talk about them tonight. You might even hear some of them. In fact, you will. This is the next best thing. Don't go. Okay, we're going to get right into it because I don't want to run out of time. In 1941, folks... The song Baby Mine from Dumbo should have won. Should have won, but didn't. It lost to the song The Last Time I Saw Paris, which was that Jerome Kern song. And he got pissed about it. Hilarious. And here's why it really bothers me. A, I like the song way better. B, the song was so vital to that movie. C, that song has lived on forever. People know that. People love the song Baby Mine. Do you know what song it is? I do love that song so much. And another reason why I really think it's just really unfortunate that it didn't win is because the men who wrote that song, Frank Churchill and Ned Washington, what else did they write? Who knows? That really, I don't know. It just makes me feel bad for them because Jerome Kern and Oscar Hammerstein, hello, they had they have basically every songwriting and composing award ever. 
would have meant a lot to those two composers. But oh well, sadly. Okay, moving on. In 1944, now this was a really weird year. There were 12 songs, 12 songs nominated for Best Original Song. And this is insane. Out of the nominees, the trolley song should have won. The trolley song from Meet Me in St. Louis. It did not win. The trolley song lost to Swingin' on a Star from the movie Going My Way. Who? No. Come on. What? Now, in case you need to brush up, here's a quick sample of what the trolley song is. With my high starch collar and my high top shoes and my hair piled high up on my head, I went to lose a jolly hour on the trolley and lost my heart instead. With his light brown derby and his bright green tie, he was quite the handsomest of men. I started to yen, so I counted to ten, then I counted to ten again. Clang, clang, went the trolley. Ding, 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 went the bell. Zing, 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 went my heartstrings. From the moment I saw him, I fell. Chug, 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 went the motor. Bump, 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 went the brake. Thump, 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 went my heartstrings. When he smiled, I could feel a car shake. He tipped his hat. And took a seat He said he hoped he hadn't stepped up on my feet He asked my name I held my breath I couldn't speak because he scared me half to death Chug, chug, chug went the motor Pop, pop, pop went the wheels Stop, stop, stop went my heart string As he started to go Then I started to know how it feels When the universe Sung by Judy Garland from Meet Me in St. Louis. Now, what's really weird to me, it's not just weird that that song didn't beat Swingin' on a Star from Going My Way, which, can you sing for me right now? Probably not, because who the hell knows that song? But what was crazily not even a nominee, not on the list at all, was Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, which is better than any of these 12. Crazy. So that song sung by Judy Garland probably should have won. But 10 years later... This really pisses me off. Ten years later, in 1954, the man that got away from A Star is Born was, oh, I don't know, at least 75 times better than the song Three Coins in the Fountain from the movie Three Coins in the Fountain. And it lost. That was the same year that Judy Garland should have won the Best Actress Award and didn't. The song I'm talking about, The Man That Got Away, is one of her best. Enjoy. The night is bitter The stars have lost their glitter The winds grow colder Suddenly you're older And all because of the man That got away No 
and undone you That great beginning Has seen a final inning Don't know what happened It's all a crazy game No more Let all time thrill For you've been through the mill And never a new love Will be the same Every trick of his You're on to But fools will be fools And where's he gone to? The road gets rougher It's lonelier and tougher With hope you burn up Tomorrow he might turn up There's just no let up The live long night and day Looking for the man that got away. The Yes, the man that got away from a star is born. Outrageous. Yeah, outrageous. It is. You're right, Judge Judy. It's outrageous that that didn't win. And it was written by Harold Arlen and Ira Gershwin. Now, Harold Arlen wrote... So it's not like he didn't have any Oscars, but who cares? It was by far the best song that year, and it should have won. Not even close. Moving right along. All right, I do want to point out one quick thing. In 1958, the song Gigi from Gigi won. Now, that was written by Lerner and Lowe, my first cousin twice removed, so I'm all for it. Funny thing about it is they wrote, I mean, they wrote some unbelievable songs together. Gigi really wasn't one of them. That's not a great song. I think the competition that year was just lacking. So, all right, in 1968, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. A Sherman Brothers song that lost to a song called The Windmills of Your Mind from the Thomas Crown Affair. Hilarious because a group of my friends and I always joke about how the music from the Thomas Crown Affair 
the most recent one with Piers Brosnan, is hilariously terrible. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, classic. That was 1968. Then again in 1971, the Sherman Brothers once again got screwed because they had a great song called The Age of Not Believing, and it lost to Shaft. Now I get it, we all like the theme from Shaft, but come on, we're talking about artistry here, songwriting, and this should have won. When you rush around in hopeless circles, searching everywhere for something true, you're at the age of not believing when all the make-believe is through. When you set aside your childhood heroes and your dreams are lost upon a shelf, you're at the age of not believing and worst of all, you doubt yourself. You're a castaway where no one hears you on a barren isle in a lonely sea. Where did all the happy endings go? Where can all the good times be? You must face the age of not believing, doubting everything you ever knew. Until at last you start believing There's something wonderful in you Oh, yes. A one beautiful song sung by Angela Lansbury in Bedknobs and Broomsticks, a Disney movie from 1971. Great film. Holds up. I love that movie. And, you know, Shaft. Yeah, it's a great song, I guess. Not really. No, it isn't. I mean, sorry, but compared, like this theme from Shaft one. I mean, who are we? Where are we? Is my... Okay. Anyway, moving right along here. And then in 1977... The song that won was You Light Up My Life from probably the same, a movie of the same name. In my opinion, what should have won is a beautiful little song that you might recognize from Pete's Dragon. Uh-huh. Candle on the Water, a song by Al Kasha and Joel Hirschman, uh, Hirscharm, for the movie Pete's Dragon. Beautiful, probably should have won. However, it's not nearly as egregious as this next one. Two years later, in 1979, the song that won was It Goes Like It Goes. The song is called It Goes Like It Goes. It was from the movie Norma Ray. <laughs> okay. I mean, that was a great movie. I think Sally Field won the Oscar for Best Actress for playing Norma Ray. But the best song, could you sing It Goes Like It Goes for me? No, I couldn't sing it for you either because who gives a crap? And guess what lost out to It Goes Like It Goes? Um, 
a damn good song called The Rainbow Connection. Hello from the Muppet movie. I mean, Kermit. Why are there so many songs about rainbows? And what's on the other side? Rainbows are visions, but only illusions. And rainbows have nothing to hide. song because it lost to something from Norma Ray. Are you kidding me? I'm going to kick you right in the... Never mind. All right, what else? Moving right along here. Let's hear it. Moving right along. Great. Now, here's a big one. And, okay, so some of these, like that one, I think is really egregious. That one, there's no question in my mind that that song should have won, especially compared to the one it lost to. Now, in 1980, the song Fame from the movie Fame won. And we all know it. Fame, I'm gonna live forever. And that's, an, that's a good song. That's a good song. And it could have won on another year, in another year. Because in my opinion, the song that lost to Fame in 1980 is just too damn good and should have won. No question. Stumble to the kitchen for myself a cup of ambition and yawn and stretch and try to come to life. Jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping. Out on the streets, the traffic starts jumping. The folks like me on the job from nine to five. Working nine to five. What a way to make a living. Yeah, 
Dolly Parton is, people don't, I don't think people really realize, they just kind of, especially now, they kind of think of her as this kind of caricature of herself with these big boobs and a facelift and hottie there and blah, blah, blah. She is a extremely prolific songwriter and an extremely gifted songwriter. She wrote all sorts of songs, some of which you might love, like Jolene, and a lot of which that you probably had no idea she wrote, like... I Will Always Love You, made fam- made really famous by Whitney Houston. She's a great songwriter. She should have won that award that year. God damn it. I mean, you know, it's just, it, it's it's silly. So many people with on these unjustified losses. I don't know what to do about it. Well, I guess I'll do nothing. Anyway, let's see here. Moving right along. Okay, so that was a year that, I, yeah, fame was good. Shouldn't have won. Nine to five should have. In 1982, the song that won was Up Where We Belong from an officer and a gentleman. Now, that's I believe that's Love Lifts Us Up Where We Belong. Not a bad song, fine. But guess what lost? Eye of the Tiger from Rocky Three. Come on. I mean, come on. I mean, come on. In 1984, the song that won is, it's, now this is an interesting one because in 1984, the song that won is I Just Called to Say I Love You from Women, Woman, Women in Red or Woman in Red. That's a song by Stevie Wonder. I really like that song, frankly. I really do. And I like Stevie Wonder. It's just interesting because it beat Footloose, the song, and now you gotta cut loose, Footloose. And Ghostbusters, the song Ghostbusters. Now, I know what people are going to hear me say that and be like, are you insane? You're going to say that Stevie Wonder should have lost to Kenny Loggins and Ray Parker or whoever wrote Ghostbusters? That's not the point. You little bitch. It has nothing to do with the movies themselves. And I don't necessarily think those two should have won. I just think that looking back on it, the cultural impact and the longevity of those songs 
makes a difference. But whatever. In 1990, now here's where something is, now I do think the wrong song won. In 1990, the song Sooner or Later from Dick Tracy won. Now that's a song by Stephen Sondheim, who you're never going to get me to criticize or say is bad. He's not bad, and it's not a bad song. However, that same year nominated was a song that I love so goddamn much from Home Alone, written by John Williams, that I'm sorry, but went up head to head, should have won. That's somewhere in my memory from the movie Home Alone. And guess who was singing it? Yours truly. Because there's, I can't, I've never been able to find a good recording of a soloist singing that song. It's always the either children's choir or just instrumental. But anyway, I think that's, oh, I love that song. It should have won. All right, moving right along here in 1993. Now, this is weird. See, these are weird anomalies. So in 1993, there was a serious mix-up, in my opinion, because the song that won was from the movie Philadelphia, but it was the wrong song. It was The Streets of Philadelphia, the song by Bruce Springsteen. That song won, and it beat out the song Philadelphia by Neil Young. Unbelievable. I love this song, and in terms of comparing the two, there is none. Sometimes I 
This is the next best thing. Don't go. Yes, this is the next best thing on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, Jonathan B. Lerner, and we're going through a lot of songs, movie songs that were so good that they were nominated for Academy Awards, and they should have won, but they didn't. That was the song Philadelphia from the movie Philadelphia, (laughs) and it was written by Neil Young, sung by Neil Young. And it lost to Streets of Philadelphia, also from Philadelphia, but by Bruce Springsteen. Uh, Inexplicable to me. Inexplicable to me. Moving right along. Now, in 1996, three years later, we had the song that won was You Must Love Me from Evita, written by Andrew Lloyd Webber. I'm not a fan of Andrew Lloyd Webber. I'm not a fan of Evita. And I certainly wasn't a fan of this song. It was up against songs like Because You Loved Me, which you may remember being performed by Celine Dion. That could have won, but if it were up to me, which it clearly wasn't, and I don't know where this accent just came from, then, frankly, the song from Evita would have lost, not even close, to this little ditty. Thing You Do, performed by the band in the movie called That Thing You Do. The band is called The Wonders. And yeah, I do think that song is better than the shit one from Evita, okay? So sue me. Actually, you don't need to sue me because it's better. Angela Weber, suck it, okay? Suck it. Moving right along. All right, what other injustices have we suffered through? In 1998, now this now this was not an injustice. This, um, this is kind of like an honorable mention, you see? In 1998, the song that won 
it should have. And it was When You Believe from Prince of Egypt. The composer was Stephen Schwartz, who, by the way, wrote Wicked, Godspell, Pippin, and has never won a Tony. So it's a good thing he has this Oscar. But it it beat songs like The Prayer. Now, I love that song. It's a duet most famously by Josh Groban and Charlotte Church. But there's also Andrea Pocelli singing with Celine Dion. Great duet. Lead us to a place. Guide us with your grace. Give us faith so we That could have won, but it didn't because because when you believe the duet with Whitney Houston and Mariah Carey, that's a good one. Now, in 1999, the next year, oh, God, this was another tough one because the song that did win is good. The song that won was You'll Be In My Heart, Phil Collins from Tarzan. And yeah, that's probably right, but it beat a damn good song that I loved so much from Toy Story 2. When somebody loved me Everything was beautiful Every hour we spent together Lives within my heart And when she was sad I was there to dry her tears And when she was happy so was I When she I love that song, written by Randy Newman, performed there by Sarah McLaughlin, who has since been just doing those ASPCA commercials and making you want to cry due to the um, what happens to those sad animals, those poor sad animals. She's made a career of that. Okay, so that was, I mean, oh yeah, that's tough. Any other year, that probably would have won, but, you know, it was up against Phil Collins and You'll Be In My Heart, so... I can't really say it was snubbed, but it's a great song. Could have won. Okay. So in 2000, I believe the next year, the following year, now that was, that was the year that Bjork showed up wearing that freaking swan. Now I remember this very well. I was in the fifth grade. It was spring break. We were in Chicago and I don't know how this happened, but we were staying in the John Hancock building. Well, And yeah, the Oscars were on and we saw this weird looking Asian woman walk out with a dead animal wrapped around her. And she sang a song that could have won but didn't and it went a little something like this. I've seen it all. I have seen the trees. I have seen the willow leaves dancing in the breeze. I've seen a man killed by Best friend and lives that were over before they were spent. I've seen what I was, and I know what I'll be 
Bork. So yeah, that lost to that lost to the song Things Have Changed, a Bob Dylan song from the Wonder Boys. So I I mean, but come on, Bob Dylan, can you really argue with that? But again, I actually really do like that song, and there are certain things, certain songs of Bjork's I've come to really appreciate and her eccentricities. She she's an artist. Okay. Anywho, now that I've offended half the audience, let's uh moving right along. All right. In 2003, and this was a downright outrage, God damn it. the winner was Into the West, a song from the Lord of the Rings movie. Now, that year, I remember, the Lord of the Rings was just sweeping the... I mean, it was like winning every single Oscar. Whether or not those were justified, I'm not going to sit here and tell you, because I couldn't. But I can tell you this, that song was not better. It was not goddamn better than this one. has lifted and the fairy tales have all been told there's a kiss at the end of the rainbow more precious than a pot of gold in tales of ancient glory every night and maiden fair shall be joined when the quest is over and a kiss is the oath that they swear and when the veil of dreams has lifted and the fairy tales have all been told there's a kiss at the end of the rainbow more precious than a pot of gold my sweet my dear my darling you're so far away from me though an ocean of tears divides us let the bridge of our And that, of course, was A Kiss at the End of the Rainbow from the movie A Mighty Wind, directed by Christopher Guest. Yeah, it was one of those Christopher Guest kind of mockumentaries. Don't care. That's a beautiful song, and it's better than the one that won. It was written by Michael McKean, and I believe his wife, Michael McKean, is in all those movies. I love that song, and I really, truly do believe it should have won. I mean, as if Lord of the Rings wasn't winning enough. God damn it. Which Lord of the Rings movie was it? Who cares? 
Moving right along. Okay. In 2004, a song from the Motorcycle Diaries called Al Otro Lado del Rio won. And it beat good songs like, I love this song, Believe from the Polar Express. Great song. Great Christmas song. It also beat Accidentally in Love from Shrek 2, Counting Crows. And, I mean, come on. Counting Crows, they deserve an Oscar, right? They've served their dues. Yes! Now, I, honestly, I can't really remember what how the um, song from Motorcycle Diaries goes, so I'm not necessarily complaining about that. I'm just saying that those other two were great. Probably could have won. In 2006, now this was this really is insane to me. Because what happens sometimes, I mentioned before we really got into this segment, that the song has to be an original. It was written for the film and whatnot. If you adapt a musical from the stage, none of those songs count. So they'll add new ones. And in 2006, that's when Dreamgirls was adapted for the stage. And they didn't just write one new song. They wrote a bunch and three of them were nominated. Oh, my God. It was seemed like a given, right? I mean, when you take, let's see, how many songs were nominated that year? I believe there were five. So when you are taking up three out of five spots on the list of nominees, you think you're going to win. And they should have, but they didn't. The song, I Need to Wake Up from An Inconvenient Truth, the Al Gore documentary. Sorry but it's a documentary. Come on. Now, it's a good song, Melissa Etheridge, but it should not have won. This one should have. Listen to the song here in my heart A melody I start but can't complete Listen sound from deep within it's only beginning to find release oh the time has come for my dreams to be heard they will not be pushed aside and turned into your own all cause you won't listen
Beyonce. Mm-hmm. Now, what's impressive to me is that these Dream Girls, the musical, the stage musical, came out in the 70s. Huge success, but it was the 70s, and that was a long time before 2006 when this movie version was made. And yet every song that was added to the movie was written by the same duo who wrote it for the stage, and it kicked ass. That song is awesome. So is I Love You, I Do. So is Patience. Those were the other two that were nominated that year. And I'm sorry, but the fact that they came away without an Oscar is just a shame. Moving right along. Okay, now we're going to jump up to very current. Very current. So, last year, 2016, the song that won was called City of Our Stars from La La Land. And the guys who wrote the lyrics are Panzik and Paul. They're very... I actually sang a song cycle of theirs, love their work. I've gotten to meet them before. And, um, you know, they're great. They're incredibly talented. Last year, no, sorry, shouldn't have won. <laughs> I mean, I just, I don't think that song was great. I think that song was very good, but I don't think it should have won. I think they should have won this year, which is why I can say they shouldn't have won it last year. What? And uh, so that's why it gets a little messy. But you see, last year, I think, honest to God, the song that should have won came from the, the hit classic piece of American cinema called Trolls. And it was written by the Justin Timberlake. I got this feeling inside my bones. It goes electric, wavy when I turn it on. Off from my city. Off from my home We're flying up no ceiling When we in our zone I got that sunshine in my pocket Got that good soul in my feet I feel that hot blood in my body When it drops Ooh, I can't take my eyes off of it Moving so phenomenally Come on like the way we rock it So don't stop Say what you will, JT is so hella talented that he needs an Oscar. No, that's not the point, but that's a great song. And frankly, Trolls is a great movie. I'm just going to say it, okay? I actually, there's some arrangements of various well-known songs in that movie that I really do love. So that was last year. Now, which brings us to last night, okay, which is really, honest to God, what sparked this entire episode of The Next Best Thing. I had a whole different agenda planned for tonight, but uh, this is important. So last night, going in, I actually, and I don't, I'm not entirely sure why, but going in, I was positive that the song that was going to win was from Call Me By Your Name. I had been reading, well, first of all, I'm a huge Shifion Stevens fan, and he's the guy who wrote the song called Mysteries of Love which was in Call Me By Your Name. And going into it, not only do I like him, do I really like the song, but I'd been reading how it was kind of his to lose. Now, if you're not sure which song that is or how it sounds, here's a brief sample. This is a song that I was sure was going to win. Oh, to see without my eyes 
delightful song I, I mean it, yeah it's a good song and i really did like it. it fit the movie perfectly the placement in the movie was perfect because usually be, a lot of times they will just use them for the end credits and if they don't if they actually do try and work it in somehow it's usually you know very awkwardly placed and kind of clumsily placed and it doesn't make sense this wasn't the lyrics i mean it was perfect beautiful however after seeing each performance and again the song that won was called remember me from coco it was catchy. It was fine. It's a good song, but I want to reiterate something. The composers who wrote the song Remember Me from Coco, they won this award already. They won it a few years ago for their song Let It Go, Let It Go. Da, da, ba, da, booty, that was the year that um, John Travolta lost his mind and said, here to sing the wickedly talented Hazel Kazim. When her name is Adina Menzel, yeah. So that was not very long ago, and they already have an Oscar, and they have Tonys and blah, blah, blah. It was not the best song last night. It was not the best song at all. It was catchy, it was cute, it was a good song. But it was probably the third, maybe the fourth best song out of the five nominees. And after seeing every one of them, after seeing all the performances and listening to them again today, you know, last night I thought this performance was powerful. But then listening again today, you know, I didn't love the song last night. And I didn't even love it when I first listened to it today. But it's one of those songs that kind of slowly grows on you. And I have to say, I've been listening to it over and over and over again today. And I probably will listen to it over and over and over again throughout the week. The song that should have won last night was Panzik and Pauls. The guys who won last year, I think, incorrectly. I think JT should have won last year. Panzik and Paul should have won this year for their song called This Is Me from The Greatest Showman. Now, I don't care whether or not the movie's great. Zac Efron's a big part in it, so clearly it's probably fun to look at, but he's, you know, come on, let's be real. It's probably not the greatest acting in the world. I don't care. This song should have won last night. This song is called This Is Me from The Greatest Showman, and it was a loser. Stranger to the dark Hide away, they say Cause we don't want your broken parts I've learned to be ashamed of all my scars Run away, they say No one will love you as you are But I won't let them break me down to dust I know that there's a place for us For we are the Down. I'm gonna send a blood, gonna drown in my 
I'm sorry, maybe it might need to grow on you like it had to grow on me, but this is me and I'm going to say that song should have won. I think it's way more powerful. I think it was way more, even the performances, I'm sorry, but the performance of the song that won last night, Remember Me from Coco, was weird, number one, and number two, not great. <laughs> it started out with a guy that sounded like he had just rolled out of bed, and I know, I get it, I know that's kind of the character, there's two versions of the song from the movie, blah, 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 blah. It wasn't great. And even when they got into the uplifting part and the more upbeat part, it was still awkward because it was just two people kind of standing there, staring at each other and then kind of walking out. It was just weird. It was weird. And that one was powerful. So there you have it. Those are the songs that I think really should have won that award throughout the years, including last night, and that didn't. And a lot of the songs that beat them are songs you've never heard of, I've never heard of, no one cares about. Sorry, except for the people who wrote it and maybe a few people here and there. By the way, 
always, always, always remember that you can go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.com slash pledge to make donations. We are a 501c3, so any and all donations you make are tax deductible. You can donate to the station as a whole. We need every penny. Or better yet, you can go to RFB.NYC slash NBT and donate specifically to this show. If you go to that website, RFB.NYC slash NBT, you'll see a button that says sponsor this show. You click on that and then you can decide how much to donate. You can decide whether it's going to be a one-time donation, a monthly donation. If you want to make it a monthly donation, you can make it for as small as $2 a month, $1 a month. It doesn't matter. But again, 501c3. So anything you donate is tax deductible. All right. So please, please consider doing that. It would really help us out and we would really, really appreciate it. You're listening to The Next Best Thing on Radio Free Brooklyn 